Welcome, everybody. My name is Steve Husky, lead pastor here at Faith Church, and we just wanna say welcome. We're so glad you decided to tune in for one of our weekend worship experiences. I know many of you are Faith Church family, and we just wanna give you a big shout out and tell you how glad we are that you're tuning in and how much we miss each and every one of you. But we also know that we're not just Faith Church family. We know some of you are VIPs. Some of you are tuning in for the very first time. And so whether you're Faith Church family or you're tuning in for the first time, man, we are glad that you're here. And our prayer is that God will meet you where you are and God will do something significant in your life. We say it every week here because we believe it, that Jesus is the hope of the world. Again, in this dark, difficult world, all of us have challenges and issues. All of us have habits and hangups. And we believe that if you'll give God an opportunity, that he will step into your life and he will step into your situation. And if you will give him that opportunity and give him that invitation, it'll be the greatest thing that you've ever done. Well, I'm excited today. We're starting a brand new series entitled Heart Matters. And as we dig into this, today, week one, is just a foundational message. We're gonna keep going back to some key themes that I dropped today throughout this series. But basically, Heart Matters is this conversation about what's in God's heart and what's in ours. And so as we jump into week one, let me just ask a question. How many of you have ever been pulled over by a police officer? Right, obviously many of you at home, come on, you're raising your hand, you're nodding your head because it's happened to many of us. For me, unfortunately, a lot of times it's because maybe I was speeding just a little bit. And I know you, probably just like me, when the police officer comes up beside our car and they ask us the same question, hey, license and registration or license and proof of insurance, how many of you have done like me, you not only give the police officer your driver's license, but you hand him a story too? Come on, when I, when I say we hand them a story, we, try, we, we feel like we need to try to tell them why we were speeding, right? Well, officer, man, I, I just came from this restaurant and, and my, my stomach's not feeling well and so I was in a hurry to get home. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about people lying trying to get out of a ticket, but I'm talking about when we have a genuine situation that we're trying to inform the officer of, right? Why do we hand them a story? Here's why, it's because we're trying to get past the badge. We're trying to access their benevolence, right? I remember several years ago when we first moved here from Ohio down to Alabama, there was a law that was different from where we came from and I wasn't aware of. And so one day I'm driving down the road and sure enough behind me, I see the, I see the lights flip on and I hear that dreaded whoop, whoop and the siren goes. And so I pull over to the side of the road and my assumption is that I was speeding, but I didn't think I was. And Police officer walks up beside my car and again, he asked me for my license and asked me for proof of insurance and he tells me the reason he's pulling me over is because my registration had expired. My tags were expired. Now, I thought he was wrong and so he explained to me, no, they're, they're off and so here what I found out and I tried to explain to him. In Ohio, you have to renew your registration based on the month that you're born. But down here in Alabama, you renew your registration based on the letter of your last name. And because of that difference between Ohio and Alabama, I had unknowingly broken the law. And so, but what I was trying to do in giving him the story of me moving and being unaware of the law was I was trying to get him, come on, I was trying to dig into his heart. Come on, I, I know this, right? I know the police officers have the capability to enforce the law. I wanna know, do they have the compassion to relate to my circumstance. Now, that same conversation of capability and compassion 
That same conversation that we try to have with police officers, that same conversation we have to have with God. And here's why, is because all of us are gonna go through difficult seasons in life. We're gonna go through trials. We're gonna go through hardships. And if you don't have a balanced understanding and view of not just the capability of God, but the compassion of God, when you go through those seasons, your faith will turn upside down. There is a Greek philosopher, his name is Epicurus, and he said this in this conversation. He said, is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he's not omnipotent. Is he able but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Why then is there evil? What he was saying was this, hey, if you're going through a difficult season, again, if you're going through a hardship and you're wondering why God didn't show up, is it because he's compassionate, but he's not capable, he cares about you, but he can't do anything about it? Or is it because he's capable, but he's not compassionate? Is he able to do something, but he won't? And so I want us to kind of dig in for a minute. I want us to talk about the capability of God because the whole Bible is a book broadcasting God's ability. On almost every single page is a proclamation of God's power starting all the way at page one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Basically, it's God's shout out saying, I made all of this, I can do anything. I can speak dark matter and I can speak quasars and I can speak stars into existence. And as you move through, you continue to see the display of God's power. He brings an entire nation to its knees on the 10 plagues that he brings on the nation of Egypt. You see God opening up the Red Sea and the nation of Israel walking across in, in, out of Egypt uh, onto dry ground. You see on and on, man, God providing miracles, manna from heaven every morning, and God providing protein through, through quail, God causing the sun to stand still, God shutting the mouths of the lions, God bringing down the walls of Jericho. Come on, every single one of those are a proclamation of God's power, declaring to us that, man, God is capable. Now, come on, I, I just wanna, I wanna just kinda get, let you get involved because if you're shouting, come on, I can hear you shout. Because a lot of us, we just don't have a third-person description. A lot of us, we got a first-person experience. Come on, I wish some of you would help me if you're watching this. It, come on, some of you, you got a story. It's not just what you've read in the Bible. You've experienced God showing up. You've experienced God's goodness. You've experienced a miracle. You've experienced God healing your life. You've experienced God restoring your marriage. Come on, when you talk about God's power, it's not something that someone told you about. It's something that we've experienced. Come on, anybody here know something about the capability of God? And the reason I think God tells us so much about his power, about his capability, is so when Paul says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we're able to ask or even think, that when we read that, we can say, yes, amen, God, God can do it, because God, God did it for them, God will do it for me. Or some of you say, man, God's already done it for me, I know God can do it again, but here's the challenge. Here's the difficulty is, when we read, yeah, God is, God is able, but what happens when nothing happens? We say, man, God, I know you're capable, but why aren't you showing up? See, I think for a lot of us, we rarely wonder if God can. 
We wonder if God will. Our question isn't God's capability. Our question is God's compassion. And I think the reason for that is, I think for a lot of us, maybe growing up in church, man, we've heard so much about God's hand, but we've not heard enough about God's heart. You talk about the power of God, the the theological term to describe that is omnipotence. It's just this way theologians have just described God's capability, that God is all-powerful. But I want you to know, man, the God you serve and the God I serve is more than a long list of impersonal attributes. Come on, God is a person. And one of the ways we know he is a person is because God's word describes him as having a personality. And one of the greatest displays of his personality is his passion, is his feelings. And if you don't understand his power and his passion, when you go through a difficult season, your faith will get paralyzed. And so I want us to dig into a story today. It's found in Mark chapter four. Again, as we kind of wrestle through what's in God's heart for you. How does God feel about us? I know, I know what God can do. What I want you to walk away with today is what he will do, what, what he feels about the situation you're in. And so Mark chapter four is one of the stories found in the gospels. It's, again, the gospels, if you're new to the Bible or you're tuning in and you've never even been a part of a church service, the gospels are the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Again, they're, they're these biographies of the life of Jesus. And Jesus, as he moves around, he stayed to a pretty, pretty small region in the Middle East, which means he kind of kept moving from the same towns and within the same region. And so right in the middle of where he did his travels and his itinerant ministry is this body of water called the Sea of Galilee. And so many times in the Gospels, we'll see Jesus with his disciples crossing from one side of the sea to the other, from one side of the sea to the other, just over and over. And this story we're about to read is one of the times where Jesus is on the move and we find them on the Sea of Galilee. And while they're moving from one side to the other, all of a sudden they come across this crazy storm. Mark chapter four, verse 37 says it this way, that, and a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. Now, let me stop right there. Now, I don't know about you, but come on, I, I gotta have almost a perfect circumstance to be able to sleep well. The, the room temperature has to be pretty cool. Come on, a lot of us, imagine, think about the, the mattresses we have. We got memory foam. We got the perfect pillow. We got the perfect temperature. And some of us have a hard time going to sleep. Listen, for me, I know it can't just be the right temperature. One of the things that matters if I get a good night's sleep is what kind of pillow I have. I had several years ago one of the best night's sleep ever, and we were at a hotel, and I slept so well. I told my wife, I said, listen, before we leave, we need to find out where this hotel gets its pillows from. And so literally for the last five years, I have been special ordering my pillows just so I can sleep well. And what's crazy is here's Jesus. He's not on memory foam with a special pillow in the right air temperature. Jesus is on a wooden boat rocking in the middle of a storm, and he is sound asleep. Come on, man. I, God, give me rest like that. But here's what I want you to see. Watch this. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow, and they woke him up. The disciples are panicked because the waves are roaring, and it's rolling into the boat. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care 
that we are perishing? Come on, listen to that question for a minute. Don't you care, Jesus, that we're about to die? Don't you care about us? Have you ever asked God that question? Have you ever been in a storm in life? Have you ever gone through a season? Have you ever faced something difficult? Have you ever felt overwhelmed? And that's the question that you pose to God. God, don't you care? Don't you care? Don't you care that I'm sick? Don't you care that my, my son is addicted to drugs? God, don't you care that my husband just left me? Don't you care that I just got laid off? Don't you care that I can't pay my bills? God, don't you care that I'm depressed? God, don't you care that I can't sleep and I don't have any peace at night? See, all of us go through those seasons and oftentimes when we go through something difficult, the enemy's gonna whisper in your ear, God doesn't care about you. God, don't you care? In fact, in the Old Testament, there's this guy by the name of Job and Job goes through some of the most difficult trials imaginable. And when he loses literally everything, he loses his health, his wealth, and most of his family, but his wife, his wife comes to him and says this, hey, curse God and die. Here was this man who was faithfully serving God and his wife shows up and says, hey man, listen, if, if God cared anything about you, you wouldn't be going through this. What she's saying is God don't care. Stop, stop blessing God and start cursing God. See, I just want you to know something. When you begin to question God's passion, the first place it will show up is in your praise. And here's why, it's because, listen, when I, when I know God is passionate about me, come on, I can get passionate about him. When I know God's been faithful to me, when God showed up in my life, when God's been good to me, come on, it's easy for me to sing. It's easy for me to lift my hands. It's easy for me to get excited in worship. Come on, but, but when I start to wonder if God cares about me, when, when I feel like his passion for me diminishes, my passion for him diminishes. Come on, some of you are struggling to worship. Some of you are struggling when we were singing songs earlier, like you couldn't get into it, and it's not because you're at home and not in a building. It's because you're wondering with a question and the situation, God, do you even care? And I just want you to know, again, as we dig into week one of Heart Matters, I'm just gonna tell you right here that God cares about you. Don't you care that we're about to die? Don't you care that we're perishing? God, don't you care about the situation I'm in? I want you to see this because Peter isn't questioning the power of Jesus. He's questioning the passion of Jesus. And here's how I know is because when Peter goes to Jesus and asks him this question, basically it's not just a question, it's an accusation. Notice Peter doesn't say, hey, Jesus, can't you do something about the storm? He's not questioning, again, his, his capability. I think he already knows he can. He's wondering if he will. Don't you care that we're perishing? He assumed he could. He just wasn't sure if he would. Have you ever been there? Come on, I know, I know God, you can do it. I'm just wondering if you will. I think that, Sometimes that question about God's compassion for us, I think, I think that doubt about God's passion for his people shows up when we pray prayers like this, God, if it be thy will. Now, come on, I, I know some of you are gonna say, but, but pastor, that's what Jesus told us to pray. But I just want you to know something. For some of us, that's a safeguard, safeguard prayer. God, if it, if it be your will, what, what we're saying is, God, I know you can. I'm just not sure you will. God, I know you're capable. I'm just not sure you're compassionate. 
I'm not sure you really care enough about me to help me. I'm not sure you care enough about me to, to show up in my situation. I know you can still the storm. I'm just not sure you will still the storm. And so it goes on, check this out. Jesus, this is how he responds to the question or the accusation, don't you care? Then he arose and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Watch this. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? I love it because Jesus gets asked a question. The question is, don't you care that we're perishing? And you'll find throughout the life of Jesus that's recorded again in the gospels that Jesus rarely answers a direct question directly. In fact, I think it only happens three times. Most of the time, Jesus answers the question with a question, which is exactly what he does here. The question posed to Jesus is, don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus responds to the question with, why are you so fearful and how come you don't have any faith? What Jesus is saying is, listen, if you're gonna put my feelings on trial, I'm gonna put your faith on trial. They, get po they pose the question to Jesus, hey, don't you care? And Jesus poses the question back, don't you trust me? I'm just gonna tell you, come on, listen, when we get in that place where we start questioning if God cares, the issue isn't what's in God's heart. Come on, I wanna tell you today, the issue is what's in our heart. God wants you to have in your heart his heart for you. Because listen, I wanna talk about God's evidence. If we're gonna put his feelings for us on trial, then let's look at the evidence. Because God's word is littered with the evidence of God's passion for his people, of his feelings. I mean, just right away, just again, in Genesis, God's word tells us that we are created in the image of God. God made in us feelings because God has feelings. It's reflected in who we are as beings because the being who created us has feelings. And you see his feelings littered throughout, again, scripture. One of the, one of the ones I love, I know people don't think it's popular to talk about the anger of God, but man, it's, it's a topic in scripture. And uh, especially in the King James, Come on, it lays it down this way that God was wroth with fire. Come on, I love that. God was wroth with fire. What that, said, what that saying is, man, God was angry. I love it. Here's why, man, because when I understand that God can get angry, that's why I'm okay sometimes as a person and as a pastor making decisions that isn't always popular with people because I am far more concerned with making God upset than I am making people upset because I know God is a God of passion and feelings. David understood this, that he, he sinned and ultimately he was gonna be judged for his sin and, basically, and God gives him the opportunity to determine the judgment that's gonna come his way. And his options are, you can either be at the hands of men for three months or the hands of God for three days. And David ultimately chooses to be at the hand of God's judgment for three days, not because God had less power, but because God had more passion. David understood, I don't care. Listen, I don't wanna be at the hands of men. I would rather be at the hands of a compassionate God. Yeah, he's got power, but he also has passion. He's got capability, but he also has compassion. Come on, somebody. God cares about you and he cares about me. And it goes on. Again, we, we find throughout the Bible, we find it littered with God's feelings, God's passion towards his people. It's recorded that Jesus wept. 
over Jerusalem at the rejection of him as their Messiah. Jesus showed up to a funeral and wept because his friend Lazarus had died. We find another story where Jesus shows up and basically he pushes the religious people out of the temple that was making it hard for everyday people to connect with God. And what motivated him to that action? Well, he tells us, he says, zeal for my house has eaten me up. We find not only does he have zeal and not only does he have, not only does he weep and have sorrow, not only does he get angry, Oftentimes we see multitudes following Jesus. They're running after him because of the needs in their life. And on more than one occasion, we read this, that Jesus was moved with compassion. He turns around at a, at a group of broken, hurting, diseased people and he heals them. Why? Because he's moved with compassion. It's not just about him getting glory. It's about him displaying his care for hurting people. Another time, there's a, a mob of people following Jesus, a crowd of up to 20,000 people, and they've been following so long. They followed him so far that they don't have the ability to feed themselves, and they're hungry, and Jesus cares. And again, it says he's moved with compassion, and that's where we see the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. So I'm just telling you, Jesus cares about the hurting, and Jesus cares about the hungry. Jesus is zealous about his house. Jesus is passionate about people. And that just tells me, come on, if we're gonna put his feelings on trial, listen, there's plenty of evidence to make it clear that he cares. He cares about you. I'm just gonna be honest. I've asked the question. I've gone through situations. God, don't you care? And the answer is yes. And there's no greater place than I think that question being answered, God, don't you care, than in probably the most popular, well-known scripture in all the Bible in John chapter three, verse 16. Come on, we know it. I want you to read this with me at home. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Come on, the reason that scripture is so powerful because in that simple, short, two-letter word is a clear display of God's passion for people. God sent his son on a rescue mission, not again just for his glory, but because he so loved the world. Come on, I love that. It's like, it's like God is, the Holy Spirit is inspiring people as they write the word to somehow feel and sense God's passion for his people, God's compassion. And it's not enough to say God loved us. He said, no, God so loved the world. God so loves you. Come on, I, I know you're in a situation that doesn't feel good and I know you're not sure how you're gonna get out of it, but I want you to know in the middle of it, you might be convinced of God's capability and you're questioning his compassion and the answer to it is God so loved the world. What caused God to send his son? Because he so loved the world. What caused Jesus to walk this dusty earth and work miracles? Because he so loved the world. What held him to the cross was because he so loved the world. What raised him out of the tomb on the third day was because he so loved the world. If you're taking notes, the power of the cross was a manifestation of his passion for people, which means the next time you're going through something and you're wondering, God, where are you at? Don't you care that I'm perishing? Come on, when, when you look at the bill, come on, stop looking at the bill and start looking at the cross. When you go through the hardship, come on, stop looking at the struggle and look back at the cross because the cross, again, is that manifestation of his passion. I know God cares. He so loves 
me. What's crazy is, so again, Jesus answers the question of Peter with, don't you care that we're perishing with the miracle of stilling the storm? And one of the most crazy things about this story is the disciples miss the point of the miracle. It goes on and says this, after Jesus stills the storm and asks them the question, he says this in verse 41, and they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? If you're taking notes, this is why they missed the miracle. The miracle wasn't to save them from drowning in the sea, but from drowning in their skepticism. See, again, they, they were overwhelmed. Jesus, don't you care we're about to drown? Come on, think about this. This is Jesus, the son of God in the bow of the boat. Come on, Jesus, there was no way Jesus was gonna let that boat sink. That's why Jesus was able to sleep so comfortably in the middle of a storm is because he knew that boat wasn't going underwater. Jesus wasn't gonna let his disciples drown. Jesus wasn't, come on, Jesus wasn't gonna let that happen. And so Jesus works a miracle to cease and calm the storm in response to the question, don't you care? But the disciples see what happened and they ask this question, hey, who, who's this man? See, they were more focused on what Jesus did than why Jesus did it. The purpose of the miracle wasn't to convince the disciples of more of Jesus's capability. The purpose of the miracle was to convince the disciples and to convince us of the compassion of Jesus. Hey, why did Jesus cease the storm? Jesus ceased the storm to answer the question of Peter, don't you care about me? He's saying, yeah, I care about you. I'm gonna show you I care about you by making sure the thing that's causing you anxiety ceases. And they missed the point. And so we read this and we walk away like, hey, you know, come on. Like, look at this amazing miracle that Jesus did. Jesus can still a storm. And while the miracle's powerful, come on, don't miss the passion behind it. Because if we focus on what and not why, we'll be convinced of his power and question his passion. We'll go through life saying, hey, God can, but I don't know if he will. We'll go through situations saying, hey, I believe God can do anything, but I just don't know if he'll do it for me. And what's in the heart of God is compassion for you and compassion for me. God cares about your hurt. And he cares about your heartache. And he cares about your situation. And he cares about your marriage. And he cares about what's going on in the lives of your kids. And he cares about the struggling finances. And he cares about the situation that we're facing. Come on, listen to me. God cares in his heart. His compassion. At the same time that in his hands, his capability. And Peter and the disciples, they weren't the only ones to wrestle with this question. God, don't you care? You can read it. We won't get into it here, but Martha one of the disciples, one of the women followers of Jesus, she also asked the question, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that I'm the one carrying the weight of serving and my sister Mary is not involved? Like, God, don't you care? Don't you care the weight on my shoulders? See, God doesn't just care about what's in you. God cares about what you're in. God cares about, come on, the season we're walking in and God cares about the season that's walking in us. God, don't you care that I'm carrying this weight? Another person that goes through it and really asks this same question, don't you care? is this guy by the name of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is a key player in the gospels early on. 
we ultimately find that he is this prophet. He is setting the stage for Jesus to show up and take over. And so he's going around and he's preaching repentance to get the hearts of people ready to hear the good news of the gospel. And when he finally sees Jesus walking down the road, recorded early in the gospel of John, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says this, behold the lamb of God who's slain from the foundation of the world. What he was saying is, hey, that's the guy. This, I've, been, I've, been, I've been preaching this message to set you up for him. He's the one, he's the Messiah. He's the, he's the one who's gonna rescue. I can't rescue anybody. He's the one that the father sent to rescue us. And he's so convinced that Jesus is the one that some of the people who are following him, he says, don't follow me anymore, follow Jesus. And he hands the baton off to Jesus. But you fast forward in the story of John the Baptist, even though he's convinced of who Jesus is, of why Jesus was there, we find that John the Baptist gets an invite to a wedding. He shows up and while he's at this wedding, while he's at this celebration feast, Basically, he calls to the carpet and he and puts in question in front of everybody the validity of the marriage. And the marriage is between King Herod, who has recently divorced his wife so he could marry his brother's wife, which, come on, that's, that's some crazy stuff in our culture. It was even more crazy back then. And John the Baptist refuses to be silent. He calls it in question in front of all the guests and there's some other things that happen, but basically because he calls it out, he gets thrown into prison. And when he gets thrown into prison, it's funny because I think he's convinced, hey, I'm not gonna be here long. You know, you know how it goes, three hots in a cot. They bring him his first meal and he's like, listen, I don't even need to eat because I'm not gonna be here long. Jesus is gonna rescue me. Jesus is about to break me out of prison. And all of a sudden, a few minutes turns into a few hours and Jesus don't show up. But John isn't, man, he's not dissuaded. He's convinced Jesus is gonna rescue him and a few hours turns into a few days and a few days turns into a few weeks. And you find after several months of being in prison and Jesus is nowhere to be found, we see this recorded. In Matthew chapter 11, verse two and verse three, it says, and when John had heard in, when, when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Now, are you the coming one or should we look for another is kind of some Bible speak. You gotta kind of be able to decode it and read into it. Come on, same way, come on, all the wives. Come on, men, you gotta help me out. You know how your wife will say one thing, but you have to know really what they mean, right? When your wife says to you, um, I'm fine, that means she's not fine. If, if you ask your wife, hey, is it, is it okay if I go hang out with my friends? If your wife ever says to you, yeah, I don't care, come on, she cares. If your wife ever says to you, I'll be ready in a minute, come on, you gotta decode that to me. She's gonna be ready in about 30 minutes. So the same way we have to decode the conversation of our wife, you have to be able to decode a little bit what John the Baptist is saying because it feels very casual. Are, are, you, are you the one or should we look for another? Basically, what he's saying is, Jesus, don't you care that I'm perishing? That's the message he sends through his disciples to Jesus. But I want you to notice why he sent this message. Again, verse two says, and when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ. So he's sitting in prison. Again, 
minutes turning to hours, hours to days, days to weeks, weeks to months, and time is passing him by. And he thought Jesus was gonna show up and break him out. He thought Jesus was, would care enough about him to come rescue him, and, and Jesus is nowhere to be found. And while he's in prison, he keeps hearing stories about the capability of Christ. He keeps hearing about his miracles. He keeps hearing about, man, he's raising people from the dead. Like, there's no question about what God can do. What John starts to question is what he will do. Uh, Jesus, I see you doing all this stuff for everybody else, but why don't you do it for me? See, for some of us, the real issue isn't whether it's the power of Christ or the passion of Christ, is whether it's personal. One of the biggest struggles I think we face in life isn't, isn't just when God does something like, and can do something, but God, will you do it for me? I hear you doing it in other people's life. I, I hear other people telling stories. I, I see other people experiencing miracles. I see other people getting breakthroughs. I see other marriages restored. Come on, but when you're a John the Baptist and Jesus ain't showing up, it's easy to say, God, do I need to look elsewhere? See, John questioned his identity based on his activity. He started questioning, can Christ really do something for me because he wasn't doing what John thought he should do? Come on again, we all question. God, don't you care? I know you can, but will you? And the answer is found in John, in 1 Peter 5, 7. And I just wanna encourage us as we start to wrap this up today. I would encourage you not just today to read this. I would encourage you to write this verse down. I would encourage you to maybe even this week to commit this verse to memory. That the next situation you find yourself in, the next storm you're going through, the next bad news you get, the next heartache you're in the middle of, the next time you look at the struggle you're facing, that when that question starts to come out of your heart of wondering what's in God's heart, God, don't you care that the first thing that will come out of your spirit is this word. 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares for you. Come on, I, I came today to tell you, he cares for you. He cares for you. He cares for you. He cares for the situation. He cares for the storm. He cares for the heartache. He cares about the breakdown. He cares about the trouble. He cares about what's going on in your business. He cares about what's going on in your home. He cares about what's going on in your heart. Come on, we can cast all of our cares. Come on, the God we serve has broad shoulders. He can carry the stuff we can't carry. He can hold the stuff we can't hang on to. Come on, and so the invitation is the next time you question his compassion, instead of wrestling with the cares, that we're to cast them on him. Why? Because he cares for you, and he cares for me. And so it's not just about settling the capability of God, it's about settling the compassion of God. That he doesn't just have power, he has passion. He feels about what you're going through. So cast all of our cares on him because he cares for you. And so as we wrap this up, man, I just wanna just challenge you again, man, as, there's gonna be plenty of opportunities. If you're not in one, you're gonna face one where that question will pop up, God, don't you care? And when that season comes, we're just gonna cast it on God because, you know, here's what I know. All of us who are watching this, who have kids, there's, there's something in us when, when somebody tries to mess with our kids, come on, we, we immediately push back. 
Like, you can mess with me. You can mess with my job. You can mess with, like, you mess with anything. Just don't mess with my kids. Come on, can I get a shout out from all the moms watching? Man, just don't mess with our kids. Like, if, you know, I don't care what the issue is, if it's with an umpire or with a teacher, and there's ways for sure we need to handle that respectfully. But if we feel like, man, something's not happening right with our kids, we are quick to get involved. Listen, don't make me, I'll beat up a sixth grade bully bullying my sixth grade kid. Come on, I'll go to prison for my kids. That's how we feel. Why? Why do we get involved when our kids are facing a situation that they can't handle? Well, one of the things that drives us to get involved in the lives of our kids when they're facing something they don't have the ability to handle is because we can do for them they can't do for themselves, right? The reason we address that situation, the the reason we have a conversation, the reason we step onto the field, the reason we step into the school, the reason we step in between them in a situation is because we can. But come on, it's not just because we can, it's because we care. And so the same way as a father we, I care about my son and my daughters and because I can do things. Come on, you have a father in heaven. It's not just about what he can do, it's about what he cares to do. You have a heavenly father who doesn't just again have capability, he has compassion. Come on, I want you to hear that today. It's not just about what's in God's hand, it's about what's in his heart. And so I just wanna pray for you. Listen, if you're watching this and you're carrying a heavy load, you're going through a difficult season right now. You're in the middle of a storm, and man, there's questions coming out of you. God, don't you care? I just wanna pray that out of you, out of your heart, is gonna come a confidence of what's in God's heart. And so, Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful, Lord, for God's such a clear display of not just your power, but your passion, not just what you can do, but how you feel about us. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that you'll resolve that in our hearts, that God, no matter what we go through, Lord, we're gonna have a confidence, we're gonna have a faith in the feelings that you have for us. And so, Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray, God, settle it, settle it, settle it, settle it. Lord, I pray, God, as we wrestle, I pray, God, you will settle the issue and give us confidence in your compassion for our lives and what we're going through. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody who greeted home said amen. Hey, listen, man, thanks so much for tuning in. Week one of Heart Matters. I wanna encourage you to be back for the rest of this series. Hey, listen, before we tune off, I wanna just give you two things real quick. Number one, if you've never given your life to Jesus again, it'll be the greatest decision you've ever made. Bible makes it clear, man, that all of us have made mistakes. All of us are sinners. All of us, as we're sinners, man, we're disconnected from our creator. And there's nothing we can do to reach God, but God's done everything to reach us. We can't be good enough to reconnect with him, but he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and raise from the dead to reconnect with us. And if you'll put your trust and hope in Jesus, he will save you, he will forgive you, and he'll change your eternity. And so I wanna encourage you, man, all you have to do is say, Jesus, meet me where I am. Save me, forgive me. And if you'll pray that simple prayer, if you'll cry out to God, he'll answer you. If you do that, listen, I wanna encourage you just to take a second wherever you are, whenever you do it, and just text ALIVE, A-L-I-V-E, to 97000. Man, you're just gonna get several text responses that'll help move you through your spiritual journey. The second thing is this. Man, we're starting some new, uh, some new ways to connect with our Faith Church family. And anybody else who wants to get, to get connected, I feel my responsibility as your pastor is to continue to invest in you, to help you move forward successfully in life, to move forward in your leadership, to move forward in your call, to move forward as a Christ follower. 
And so, listen, if you want more content than just the message you get on a weekend, I wanna encourage you to plug into this opportunity. And basically what we're gonna do is we're gonna make available some exclusive content and some priority content. The priority content means we're gonna give you access to some things before anybody else sees it. You'll see it before it shows up on social media. And you also have access to some content that nobody else has access to. See, my heart is is to take some of the messages that we go through and maybe do some mini devotionals, do some interviews with some people on the topic we're dealing with, maybe to provide some more content that'll help you move through whatever situation you're going on in life. And so if you'd like to have access, if you'd like to have a greater connection with me, if you'd like to be involved in some of these conversations, some of these Zoom rooms, I wanna encourage you right now to get out your smartphone and text extra mile. I wanna take you the extra mile. Text extra mile, one word, to 97000. You'll get a text back asking for your email. Send that through and then start checking your email. And about once a week, we're gonna send out again some priority content and some exclusive content to help you as you move forward in your relationship with Christ. Hey, thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next week for week two of Heart Matters.